Greetings, book lovers everywhere. I'm Eutrain, and welcome to Eat Train Talks. And today, I am honored and absolutely thrilled. I'm just on cloud nine right now because I have the opportunity to sit and chat with the one and only award-winning middle grade author of books full of heart, joy, and family, the wonderful, just downright awesome author, Tori Maldonado. Did I pronounce that right? You got it right. Okay. And thank you for a fabulous introduction. I got to ask you to introduce me everywhere. <laughs> thank you. And I, so for everybody who hasn't read Tori's books yet, they're highly acclaimed, award-winning stories. His novels have been cited by Oprah and the New York Times. And not only that, but Tori's novel, Tight, was an ALA notable book, as well as being an NPR and Washington Post Best Book of the Year. And I've got to say, those awards... Your book definitely deserved those awards, if not more, because I had already read Tight, then I just reread it last night to prepare for this interview, and I was just in awe of your writing and just how you pack so much into just 100 to 200 pages, and I know that you're a writing hero of mine, and Thank with themes so of resilience, much. love, and strength, Tori's stories are so important, and we need to get them into the hands of as many readers as possible. And without further ado, let's get into the interview. There's just so yeah, there's just so much I love about Hands, which is coming out next year. It's not a marathon read, but each word is powerful and stays in your heart. My favorite quote is be a rainbow in someone else's cloud, which is a Maya Angelou quote. And it just says so much. It's a heartfelt, positive message that I will always remember. And I know this quote is also very close to your heart. So would you share why you chose to talk about being a rainbow in someone else's cloud and why the message is so important to you? Yeah, you know, um, I had a mom who was super proud of me. And uh, likewise, you know, that road of pride ran both ways. I was super proud of her. So a lot of the things that she often told me, I would race to school to share with teachers. And one quote that I would, I raced to school and I shared with my teacher was, be a rainbow in somebody else's cloud. And I stood up, you know, when we did the go around in class so confidently when the teacher asked everybody, um, Please listen to Tori. It's his turn to share something exciting that's happening in his life. I stood up and I said, my mom told me last night, be a rainbow in somebody's cloud. It's the best quote that she's ever made. And the teacher looked at me and said, are you sure your mom made that quote? And I said, yeah, I'm pretty sure she made that quote. And it turns out that my, my mom didn't make the quote. So I ran back to the house and told my mom, Ma, why'd you tell me that you made the quote? And she said, oh, you got to listen. I did not say that I made the quote. I said, I love this quote. And I want you to remember it. I love that story so much. And wow, <laughs> just wow. Your mom sounded like an absolutely incredible person. And incredible. I certainly see why hands in the front of the book, if you can... Uh, see, it's oh wait, okay, I lost the place. All right, whatever. Um, it was like a lot of your books are dedicated to your mom. And mm -hmm. speaking of hands and just all your books in general, I don't know if this is something that you meant to do, but I noticed um in 
your book, Hands, you said um, in one of the beginning parts of the story, I don't know if it was meant to be, but it kind of mentioned tight a little bit. In one of the early pages, I just, I caught a hint. One of the quotes was, the stepfather's, the stepfather was basically, he was feeling tight. His face got tight when Trev's first dad was mentioned. So did you try to add tight as a little bit of a, hey, read tight and a mention to your first book? Yeah. I'm I'm a bit ashamed and a bit embarrassed by how much um I try to work tight into different conversations, <laughs> into tweets, into um my books that came after tight. Uh for this moment with um hands, it was unintentional. Uh the word tight, I'm from Brooklyn, New York. That's where I'm zooming in from. Uh this word tight gets used so often within the day that there's that saying, if I had a dollar for every time someone said dot, 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 yeah, I'd be a millionaire. You live in Brooklyn and you're a teacher. So I'm kind of curious to know that since you've been a teacher for almost 25 years, I'm sure you come firsthand with many different types of kids and families. So do your student stories ever inspire you and become part of your written books? Uh, absolutely. Um, I want to circle really quickly back to the your, your um, love for the word tight. Um, that word tight, one of the reasons why um, I, I teach the way I teach and I write the way I write uh, really has to do with the word tight. Um, I don't like to sit in anything that is boring. I don't like to watch TV that's boring. Me, I don't like to experience media that's boring. As a teacher, I don't like lessons that are boring. I don't like meetings that are boring. So I love when an experience can be tight in a good way, you know, not, not a drop of excess. And so that's why I write um, the way I write. Uh, I thought that this book, Hands, would be tighter in page length than all my other books. And it was when I sent it to my amazing, man, you said you like to use the word amazing. You're probably gonna hear me <laughs> use amazing. Like we should have a belt and we ding each yeah. time you and I use amazing. Well, I use it a lot too. And um, I sent it to my amazing editor and I was so happy. And I was telling all my friends, I was like, hey, this book is like 125 pages. This book is 125 pages, which is awesome because my last book was just a little over 125 pages. and. Um, the the I guess the, the publishing team decided that they wanted to make the font extra large. Oh. So they made the font larger. And then when I got the book back, the book turns out is it's 144 pages. Still still tight. Yeah. Um so yeah, I, I love I love teaching. I've been teaching for 25 years. And one of the things that inspired me to become a teacher was really a head nod to um teachers who I felt were tight, awesome, tight, amazing. And um, they made me want to try to create a uh, tight, awesome, amazing learning experience for um, the young people of Brooklyn. I think that, why do they have to make the font bigger? I mean. Yeah, you know, it, I, I think one of, so it's interesting. Um, I come, I'm the first person in my family to uh, graduate college, to go to college and graduate college. and. With that comes, I'm the first person in my family to do all the things that I'm doing in the writing world, including 
publishing books. And a lot of times, you know, librarians will say certain things and I say to myself, oh, I wish I would have said that first. (laughs) Because librarians and educators and people who were um, raised, you know, in the world of, of writing and in the world of college and academia, they, um, they, they, they know what I'm trying to do. Um, a lot of my writing comes from the heart, comes from the gut, um, and then it ends up in my hands, right? And then it ends up on, on the page. And someone recently, uh, she reads 300 books a year. She says she reads, she's a librarian, she reads all the adult stuff, she reads all of the younger reader stuff, from young adult all the way down to um, elementary. And she said, um, hands is something that she's never experienced ever. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, right? You saw thanks. I, I know you, you're on it with the media. I love how yeah. you, you see stuff too. And so you saw that. It was um, the Lit Advocate. Yeah. Uh, so if anybody goes to at Lit Advocate, she's an amazing person to follow up. Oh, I said amazing again. An amazing person to follow. And she said that. She said that about the book. One other thing that um, came up in conversations with her and other uh, librarians is about the font size. They said um, everything about hands is very accessible to kids who yeah. don't want to read. So I think they made the font extra big just so that it not only would the content of the book grab you but the letters and the words are almost like hey 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 i'm over here you can't miss me i have a question about tight which is another profoundly meaningful and all-around just amazing read so the main character meets mike and i guess what i'm trying to say is their friendship is a little bit wobbly at first like at first, your protagonist, he really, of course, I'm going to show everybody the cover um, in case you didn't see it, and we're focusing on hands while you're talking about that. So Brian meets Mike, and their relationship's a little bit weird at first. Like, first, Mike is coming into Brian's life, and he's like, why are you hugging this kid, Ma? Like, I don't even know him. Like, of course, Ma is always um, there for people, so that's kind of the huge. And then he starts to get to know Mike, and he starts to like him. But then he discovers things about him that really kind of make him mad. So I guess what I'm trying to go at is why you tried to write like, like kind of finding friends and that whole friendship theme in your books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. You, you had mentioned earlier uh, through your uh, amazing introduction that you know my books have grabbed all of these awards and I'm really glad that you said those things because I had dinner um, not not too long ago with a very good friend of mine and someone from the press came up to me and I think I'm, I'm identifiable because of my bald head <laughs> and the person said um are you are you Troy Maldonado and I said yes I am and they said oh we we're covering local authors and we want to talk to you and um and, and so I started talking about my that book tight and as I started to talk about it I started to launch into topics that you just brought up but I didn't talk about any of the awards and my friend says to me dude you gotta mention the awards because these things really matter so um I'm glad that you did that a lot of the um places that I've been lucky to um have been awarded 
awards from they they notice that through line that you mentioned that there's um friendship friendship keeps coming up in all of my books you know um it hands tackles friendship too um and it also tackle and tight um does the same the reason that i i really write about friendship goes back to me being a middle school teacher um it also goes back to me being a once being a middle school student now i often see sixth graders and sixth graders are the uh, protagonists of all of my books so far i see sixth graders coming in to middle school and they're they're you use the word wobbly and that that really is an that's an i'm going to try not try to say amazing again that's a phenomenal <laughs> word <choice. laughs> Adrian, wobbly I, I noticed that a lot of um, middle school students feel wobbly. They don't have their footing. They don't have their footing on their identity, on who they are. They don't have their footing on their friendships because sometimes people will act like real friends, but then those yeah. real friends that will flip and act like, wait, why did you do that? They will act like frenemies. And then sometimes they'll act like enemies. And middle school, as I show in my different books, it's such a time of trying to figure out, you know, what's going on with me, what's going on with the people around me and what's going on with these weird, you use that word weird, you know, weird feelings that I'm feeling. And then what do I do with all of that? So um, as a teacher, I try to, I see, I see my students um, as reflections of myself. I look at my students and I say, oh my goodness, I remember when I went through that. <laughs> and, and I try to figure out how can I help um, in a way that is not this authority teacher is helping, yeah. you know, but how can I help in a way where they feel they're, they're being helped by a peer or, or a friend. And it was, a, it was years ago that this light bulb, you know, my head's already a little shiny over here, but this light bulb thing went brightly over my head and shone my bald head even brighter. And the light bulb was, Tori, if you could figure out to talk to yourself when you were a sixth grader and then write those stories with those messages that you needed to hear when you were that age, and you could turn that into a book that is from the voice of young people at, at the middle school level then young people will not feel like an authority is giving them help to navigate middle school and friendships, but it'll be a voice of a friend, a voice of a peer helping them. So that's one of the things that I really love about um, the feedback that I get from all my books. Everyone says, oh my goodness, this voice is so authentic. It sounds like my student, or it sounds like my son, or it sounds like me, or it sounds like my sibling or my relative. Well, I certainly noticed that as well. And as a sixth grader, like feeling all the feelings that Brian is, that Trev is, the wobbly, trying to figure out who you are, like all the students that you talk to, I bet we all feel like, I really relate to that character. There, That's me. Or maybe one of your other characters. I just, the theme of friendship, when I find it in middle grade, it just makes you go like, Yes, I love this friendship. My favorite friendship ever. Because mm -hmm. I just, the theme of friendship and middle school, they go together like, I'm trying to think of a good 
like duo, like 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 a hand, like a hand and glove. Yes, yes, that's the one that I was trying to think of, because like middle school is all about navigating more than yourself, but also others trying to find the right people to surround you with, and mm -hmm. you really demonstrate that beautifully in your books. And speaking, mm -hmm. of, I'm gonna keep talking about your books because they're just awesome. Oh, thank and you. So there were so many heart-stopping and heartwarming moments in Hands. And in one conversation Trev had with his stepdad, Trev promises to use his knuckles to protect his sisters. But then he feels guilty. He feels bad for making such a promise. He says, what happens when the one who's supposed to have your back is the one you need protecting from? And these are just such heart-wrenching and thought-provoking feelings. Like, feelings that I imagine are shared by many living in an abusive home life. Can you share what really inspired you to write a story that shines a light, that shines a light on such an important topic like domestic abuse mm -hmm. and just kind of, yeah, like discovering yourself that keeps tying in? Yeah, I want to um, share that. Something that I noticed uh, I did when I was uh, in elementary school, when I was in middle school when I was in high school and truthfully adults of all ages do it too is hide imperfections about myself or hide imperfections about my family life from people who could help me and you'll notice that in hands Trevor Trev he has this really tight I want to use tight again because we can go by tight. He has this tight relationship with P, his friend. And he has this amazing relationship. I'm going to use amazing again too. A relationship with P. And however, as tight as they are, and they, they just describe themselves as brothers, you notice that Trev does what we all do. He hides certain things about his family from P. And one of the things that he hides is the um, domestic abuse that um, I experienced when I was Trev's age. And also um, that felt really important for me to shine a light on. Um, the reason why is what we're really talking about here is we're talking about responsibility. And you use the word promise. We're talking about, um, and responsibility and promise, they go hand in hand with each other. And um, it comes down to, Trev is getting certain messages from everyone around him. He's getting it from school. He gets it from media. He loves, you know, watching these boxing shows like Creed and Rocky and, you know, um, you know, the Black Adam, right? The movie that just came out. He, he, he gets all these messages from everywhere about um, how he's supposed to live. And he, um, he's a responsible sixth grader. He, he just wants to do what a lot of sixth graders wants to do. They just want to uphold their responsibilities, including their responsibilities to their siblings and to their parents. And that's all this is about. It's, hands is about, you know, wanting to keep your promise, but trying to figure out what promise you keep. And I, and I really like that someone um, recently pulled a, a line out of hands. They said, I love when Trev is talking to his teacher, Miss Clark, and Miss Clark tells him, Trev, a promise is good as long as you keeping that promise doesn't hurt 
your promise. Wow. Oh, by the way, the, I just remembered um, the person who said it. Her name is Lori Barber. And I want to give a shout out to Lori Barber um, over in Anderson Books, over in Chicago, because she's the one who told me. She said, that line right there, a promise is good as long as keeping that promise doesn't hurt your promise. That That's probably the most profound line I've really ever read in books. And I'm not just saying that. That's mind-blowing, just hearing it again, even after reading it. And um, I also want to kind of dive into the topic of art, because both yes. Ryan and Trev, they're both, they're both artists. Yes. And also, kind of relating to comics, they're both pretty big comic fans. So mm -hmm. why did you decide to really include like comics slash art in your books? Are you an artist slash comic fan? Yeah. Um, when I was younger, when I was about, um, I was in the fifth grade, my, my mom, who is the mom in hands and she's the mom she's her she's the prototype for all the moms in all of my books my mom was elected to become a community center director in our neighborhood and that was super awesome i was like yes 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 mommy um however it meant that she wouldn't be coming home as early as she used to and you know something in hands that comes up is it takes a village to raise a child. Uh, so it took a village to raise me. And one of the persons in my village who stepped up and said, while you're at work, Ma, I'll take care of Tori, was my grandmother. And my grandmother, wow. She is the person who, if my mom lit the flame of my creativity and my belief that I could share something um, great, from something that I create, then it was my grandmother who kept that flame burning and helped it burn brighter. Um, she used to let me just sit inside her house in the fifth grade. I would read comic books. I would draw the heroes inside and the villains and everything from the comics for her. And was my art good? I, I didn't know if my art was good, but to my grandmother, she felt it was the they, they were masterpieces. And she plastered her wall with all of my drawings. And, you know, loving comics is something that really hooked me to storytelling. And it hooked me to um, wanting to tell um, stories. So I hadn't figured it out yet. I hadn't figured out how, how can I take all the images that are in my head and turn it into something that could be read. What? It was when I got older that um, I, I made this joke with my mom. I said, you know, if I ever uh, can, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write something that's like a comic book. And I'm happy because a lot of kids who hate novels, who only love graphic novels, who only love comics, um, they, they love my books and say that my books should be turned into movies. I'll give you one example. There's a, a librarian, her name is Jessica Fenster Sparber, and she's, um, she does a lot of work in the Bronx. She has a son, and he's a teenager. This boy, she said, my son does not like to read books. He, he just, if it's anime, if it's graphic novels, if it's comics, he's in it. And he read, um, I think he read What Lane. And when he read What Lane, he put it down. 
and he finished it in one sitting and said, Ma, tell Tori he needs to turn this into a graphic novel. He needs to turn this into a comic book because this is, it feels like a comic book. So yeah, um, I guess that, that joke promise that I made with my mom that I would try to write stuff that felt like comics, I'm talking about promise. Um, I think I kept that promise to my mom. You certainly did. And what lane hands all your books, they should be movies. I'm, oh, I don't have any ins with, I have, I know, I know someone who knows someone who knows someone probably. I'll give them a call. <laughs> That's like my my mom. She would say, Oprah needs to know about you. She needs to know about you. And I was like, Mom, do we know someone who knows someone who knows someone? <laughs> yeah. I and on the topic of comics, I a conversation that I really found interesting was um Brian and Mike, they were discussing comics like, oh, is this one worth a lot? Is this one worth a lot? Do you have some comics like that which might be worth quite a bit? <laughs> I have um I do have I used to have uh cats and they they were my mom's cats so they were our, our home cats and I'll never forget um my mom <laughs> she just thought that the comics were something for fun and um I didn't realize that at the time too that the comics were more than fun that they would sometime someday become collectibles so I I had probably close to 200 comics and I, I just want you to put put the equation together. I had a cat. I had 200 comics. I think we know where this adds uh, up to. Oh. <laughs> my mom, um, she would let the cat go in my room and I didn't protect the comics like collectibles. So you know how cats like to scratch on furniture? Yeah, I have I one. used to come home and find Wolverine comics, Superman comics, you know, Black Panther comics, comics that are mentioned in all of my books. And I would find them ripped to shreds and sometimes peed on. <laughs> and so I managed to figure out, you know, because I was talking to friends like Mike and Tite and other friends that I needed to protect these comics. So, but by the time I figured it out, I probably was down to about 70 comics. So oh. I do have them. I have them in a cardboard box, just like uh, Trev has all of his drawings in his car, his sneaker box tucked up in his closet. I have all of these. I have about 70 comics um, in a box, in wrappers, downstairs, inside my own storage unit. And so who knows? Maybe one day I'll crack them open and someone will look at it and say, yeah, this is tight. I want to <laughs> buy it. <laughs> yeah. And. Who knows, maybe in 50 years or so, or maybe even sooner. And curse you cats, you adorable troublemakers. Yeah, and you want to hear the name of the cat who created the most damage to my comics? She has the best Disney name, one of the best Disney names ever. And you would think that she would not harm a fly. Snow White. I had a cat named Snow White. I love that cat so much, but I didn't. I didn't. Do not love what she did to my comic books. Yeah. And now I want to ask a couple. I kind. Of, I guess you could kind of say like rapid fire before I ask a little bit more about your books. So first of all, DC or Marvel? I've got to know. Both. I really? have to agree. Yeah, but I love both. Really, I I have to say whatever. Um, even, even though I love both, 
within both, I love whatever comics that are trying to make the pages and the comics mirror um, mm-hmm. real life, um, real life issues, but also the beautiful rainbow of humanity. Um, this this mo- movie here, Black Adam, you know, yesterday was my mom's birthday. And it's something that you know, E-Train, and a lot of, some people who are tuning in um, know, but some people don't know, is that my mom recently died. And my mom, and E-Train, you know from my books that, you know, the boys are being raised just by their mothers. And I was raised just by my mom. She was my mom. She was my dad. She was my everything. And her and I, we made the promise that we were going to see on October 21st, her birthday. October 21st, the, the release in theaters of Black Adam, we would see the Black Adam together. And it didn't happen. Yesterday, I saw my 14-year-old daughter, though. And I just have to say, that movie did what the best DC and Marvel and any company's comics do. Um, it just, it took someone who looks like me and said, you matter, representation matters. And put me, put someone who looked like me on, you know, in front of other people and showed how we could be heroic. And that's what I try to do with my books too. Um, I try to make sure that it has a diverse cast of characters where young people are cast as heroic because each one you're heroic the, the kids that I teach are heroic like young people you know there's a lot of heroism that should be spotlighted and now in honor of uh, Halloween coming up and October being the month of ghosts goblins and ghouls while I'm not the biggest horror fan I still want to know for some recommend for recommendation purposes what is your favorite middle grade spooky read um, I love spooky. Uh, I don't love scary. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah, you. When I was younger, like when I was in, well, how old are you, Etrain? I am in sixth grade. I'm eleven. When when we okay, so when I was your age, <laughs> a lot of the the horror movies weren't scary. They were more spooky. And, and, I, and I thought that I liked scary because they were horror, right? Mm-hmm. But then it felt like movies just made this hard turn yeah. and they got, they got scary and they got gory and they got, you know, and I was like, wait a minute, wait a, I, don't, I don't like scary. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I like spooky. Um, so you find that inside my books, for example, in, um, in What Lane. Mm-hmm. What Lane happens in October and it revolves around Halloween and a lot of um, teachers will say during Halloween month I will read scenes from the Halloween scenes from what lane and I just want to let people know like the spooky stories that inspire me to, to, to read my work and say is it spooky like that because I'm trying to get my work to be just as riveting and thrilling as some other stuff so I have to say before I go into uh um, written media, I like to talk about um, TV media. Yeah. Um, one show that I, I, the last season I love, I didn't love all the seasons, but one mm-hmm. season that I really love, and it shows up in what lane, um, is Stranger Things. I, I, well, I'm not allowed to watch it yet, but I know okay. I've heard amazing things about it. Yeah. So Stranger Things, um, that's, the, that's an example of something that I really like um so i love spooky i um don't love scary and um a, a author 
who has written spooky books that are spooky and scare me and are great that um, really inspire me to, to write certain scenes like the Halloween scenes of what lane in a spooky riveting way is Chris Grabenstein, Chris Grabenstein. He, um, I was going, I was invited to be a part of the Hudson children's book festival. And I found out from the hosts that he would be on the lineup too. So I would get to interact with him. And I had melted into this uh, Halloween you know, chocolate pudding <laughs> of, of fandom. When I saw him, I went up to him and I told him what I'm about to tell you. I told him that for a while, um, whenever Halloween month rolled around, I would pick one of his books and I would read it. So he has this amazing book called The Smoky Corridor. Or is it The Smoky Corridor or The Corridor? Oh, I love that book. And um, he had another book called The Crossroads. The Crossroads. So, yeah. Chris Grabenstein or Chris Grabenstein or however you pronounce it, maybe Chris Grabenstein. Uh, I don't know. Um, his books are amazing. I said it again. Um, yeah, <laughs> like I read Mr. Limoncello's Library, Escape from Mr. Limoncello's Library. That's a great book. It was also turned into a movie, which is on Netflix, and I also watched that. Gotta say, like all movies, there are differences, but the core of the book, the meaning, was still there, and. Yeah, spooky. I prefer spooky over scary. I'd never really realized there was a difference. And like you said, how movies took a big turn. I also noticed that, like, I started watching the Harry Potter movies. Um, and like the first few, and also, I I was like, okay, these are a little spooky, but they're not scary. Then all of a sudden, they take a dramatic turn, and I'm freaked out. <laughs> like, what? Um, yeah, these aren't the I. I I guess maybe my mom says like the audience got older, so the movies kind of um, mm. turned like older. But yeah, spooky over scary, one hundred percent. And I'm also, I'm I know that you've always been a reader, and your mom was a big influence in leading you on the path of books, books, books. So I also read that it wasn't easy for you sometimes being a reader around your friends growing up. I bet mm -hmm. there's a lot of kids out there listening right now who experience similar struggles or did as kids because there might be some adults watching. And I've also experienced some teasing for the same kind of reasons. And I'm also curious, and I'm sure everyone is, how did you manage to keep yourself reading and following your passion in spite of it being different from what your friends were into? Well, that's, that's a great question. I feel like that question is a, a diamond because there are different facets, there are different sides to um, readership. There's different sides to what makes a reader read and stay on that reading journey. Um, I remember, I remember trying to hide that I like to read and I'm gonna um, read a quote. Yesterday, somebody from the National Writing Project had um, sent me a message and said, and I'll read this quote. Um, they said, uh, this is going out to an international journal. And it's about somebody who watched the National Writing Project interview of me with a, an amazing person named um, Rosanna Orta. And the person says, um, I think the episode that stays in my heart the most is when 
Rosanna Orta, a teacher leader from the Arizona Writing Project, interviewed Tori Maldonado. I love this episode. I love so much about it. It's warm, it's funny. However, one point that Tori said really hit me. He said, by the second grade, I had stopped reading. But don't get me wrong, I didn't hate books, but I did think that books hated me. And that was, um, that says a lot about me. When I was younger, um, I loved reading, but I didn't feel like the books loved me because I, I didn't find a lot of books that had um, characters of color in them. And I didn't have books um, that had neighborhoods like the neighborhood that I grew up in. So I felt that books didn't like me. And you know how we are. You, yeah. you, you, you meet somebody and they don't like you or you don't like me, okay, so fine. You go over there and I'll go yeah. over here. And that's how I reacted to books. So these books don't like me? Okay, those books could stay right over there and I'll be over here. And um, I used to hide when I did find a book that I liked because I grew up in a really tough neighborhood and you get, I got bullied if I showed my academic side. So um, it really hurt me because what it really is about is about denial. It's about denying. You know, I was denying something that made me who I am. And, you know, and um, I had to figure out, just like in the book Hands, you know, um, Trev, he, he doesn't want to deny um, who he is. He's a responsible kid. He has the strong sense of family. And um, it's not about denying that. It's about figuring out how do you channel who you are in ways that don't, hurt you and in ways that don't hurt others. So when I was denying that I like to read, um, I was hurting myself and I had to figure out how can I channel that I love to read in a way where um, I can do it. And the way that I was able to do it was I looked around and I said, that guy over there, that muscle bound guy that looks like Dwayne The Rock Johnson, he's reading a comic book. Wait a minute, that teenager over there that gets a lot of respect from everybody and he's not a bully and he doesn't bully, but no one messes with him. That guy, he's reading a comic book. And that became my secret passageway to, um, it became my secret journey to where I am today. I would start to read comics and I realized it was like this, it was like a trick that I, I was like, how am I getting away with this? I would bring a comic, I would sit right in the middle of my block and I would read it. And I would expect somebody to come over and bully me for it. And instead, people will come over and say, what you reading? Oh, you reading Batman? Yeah, Batman's cool. And then we would talk about it. And I said, wait, is this really happening? I, and so I, I read comics for a long time until I was in middle school and in high school where it was okay to pull a book out, pull a novel out. And then I had teachers who were able to introduce me to books and say, yeah, if you like that storyline that's in Batman, if you like that storyline in Superman, hit, read this book because th this character is dealing with something similar. And so I started to get hooked to books. I'm also kind of curious to know, was there someone who inspired you to pursue writing in the first place? A parent, teacher, author, or model? We've got to know. <laughs> yes, the biggest source of inspiration is, drum roll, brrr, my mom. 
my mom was my biggest source of inspiration because a lot of times I would see the world and there were things that I thought should be captured. And there was times I saw the world and I thought that wasn't okay. And my mom would say, um, she'd pick up a pen and she'd say, you know, if you don't like it, then you can rewrite it. You can, she, she really felt that life was a book, a book of life and that we wrote um, chapters, you know, and then, so she, um, I remember something that happened in my neighborhood that really hit me in, in, a, in a hard way was in, when I was a, about the same age as you, there was a magazine and this magazine, it had a boxer, speaking of, you know, hands and boxing, right? There was this boxer on the cover and I was just like, oh my God, I gotta read this magazine. And then I looked in the magazine and there was another person, he's an actor who played a boxer and he's also inside hands, uh, Rocky. And I was like, wait, so oh, that's, yeah. you know, I gotta read this. So I was reading through this magazine and I opened up and there was a nine page photo spread and it was all about my neighborhood. And it made my neighborhood look so bad. Um, the things that I wouldn't have shown, they showed those things. Um, the way that I would not have described people in my neighborhood, the magazine described people in my neighborhood that way. And I was so mad that I went to my mom. I said, look at this, this is garbage. And my mom said to me, if you can't beat them, join them. And I said, what are you talking about? And she picked up a pen and said, the pen is mightier than the sword. And I said, what are you talking about? And it took some time for me to realize it. But what my mom was trying to say is, I can't, I couldn't beat all the people who are writing about my neighborhood and describing my neighborhood, I can beat them up, but I could join them in the world of storytelling. And then story tells the things that were true about my neighborhood, the good, the bad, all of it. And, um, and it turned out that she was right, that the pen is pretty powerful because a lot of young people from around the world, they, re they read my books. And as Rudine Sims Bishop said, you know, books could be mirrors and windows. They read my books and they feel that not only do my books reflect reality and their issues, even though they're from different communities and different neighborhoods, but it's also a window into my neighborhood and they get to get this experience. Like you said, you were sitting on the edge of your seat. A lot of young people tell me, I felt like I was getting a tour of your life. I was, feel like I was getting a tour of a neighborhood that I often drive by and I can't go into because my parents won't let me or my family won't let me but you brought me into that world and into the homes and in a way where it was safe for me to do it. And so that's, you know, that, that was my mom. My mom has been my biggest writing and reading hero. And, you know, I'm wearing a hero Black Adam t-shirt, but really I should be wearing, a, maybe wearing a shirt that has my mom's face on it. <laughs> she was a, she was a superhero in the world of um, reading and writing for me. There should be a superhero movie about moms because they really they do it all and like you so like we take them for granted but then we come to realize like wow moms are, like shout out to my mom i, mm -hmm. I, I think shout out to your mom hey mom i think she's gonna be uh, um watching this afterwards and she's gonna go like oh you take you do really do take me for granted train. <laughs> You know, right on, right on to what you said. There should be a, a movie where moms are the superheroes and that they're put front and center because there's so much that uh, moms do that 
uh, goes unnoticed. You know, um, I write about this in all of my books. I often try to show what's unseen and make it seen. Like um, often there are there are quiet moments that I make loud, or invisible moments that I make visible. And one of the um, things that I like to do is I like to show how my mom was being super heroic, even when my siblings and I and the world didn't see it. For example, in Tight, if you notice, there's a scene where Brian wakes up and he, you know, is thinking about what happened to his father. And he starts to look out the window and cry. And then he says, you know, um, Mike was right when we were talking about superheroes. You know, I said I wanted to be T'Challa, the Black Panther, or Batman. But Mike said, it's better to be Luke Cage and invincible and, and where nothing can break you. Because at that moment, Brian felt like he was breaking because of his family situation. But then he hears something. He hears that the mom, her her sandals, and you know, in the um, they're flapping, they're smacking on the floor outside of his bedroom. And it doesn't say this in the book, but what I was trying to show is that as this boy is thinking about superheroes and which superhero he wanted to be and which superhero would empower him, the real superhero is right on the other side of the door. It was his mother. She was right there, staying up late at night when everybody went to bed, taking care of the hundreds of things that moms take care of so that you, E-Train, and that I and that the characters of my book could soar. They're the wings beneath our wings. They are. They're the wind, the sky, the sun, the clouds, everything that you need to need in order to fly. They are the wings. Mm-hmm. That this is why in hands there's that scene towards the end where the uncle is talking to remember when they're watching the Star Wars movies? Yeah. And you know, um I remember that uh here we go. Let's see, let's see if I can find that scene where he goes, uh your mother is the real hero. Your mother is the real Jedi. Because he says, your mom, yeah, here he goes. I'll, I'll read the scene to you. When everybody gets their book, they could read page 117, chapter 57. He goes, uh, I tell Uncle Larry about my stepdad and his promise to hurt my mother. Uncle Larry guesses, you plan to fight him? Yeah. If that's what I have to do, that's why I've been working out, trying to get stronger so I can protect mom. Real talk. Trev, your mom, she's strong. She's stronger than him. She's stronger than your stepdad. Matter of fact, she's stronger than most people out here. What? Trev, you know the Jedi, right? The Jedi have the Force? Well, your mom, she is the Force. She's a Force. She takes care of you three kids. She didn't, and then it goes on and on to list how moms, they're the real Jedis. Mothers of, great mothers are the real Jedis. They're the real superheroes. I don't want to keep you for too long. So, and so, yeah, it's time for the final question. And the question that I always like asking, and the question I ask every single author and every person I interview, if you could be or meet any literary character, fictional or real, 
who would it be and why? It could be an author, the main character in a book, a character who appears once and doesn't say a word. Who would it be and why? That's a fantastic question. As I as I think about which which character I would love to meet and and why, um, I want to just circle back to what you just said about moms being Yoda, because in Hands on chapter fifty six, when um, Trev says we watch more Star Wars, and during a Yoda scene, I elbow my uncle, Ma, Ma's my Yoda. He busts out laughing. What? What's so funny? I ask him. And he goes, ooh, I'm telling on you. I'm telling your mother. You said that she looks like Yoda. And I give him a look. Don't play. Don't play. That's not what I said. And he says, I know, I know. And then I say, you know, mommy gives good advice. And she's wise. She's wise like Yoda. So you're right, E-Train. You know, moms could be Yoda too. Um, if I could meet any fictitious character anywhere who would i want to meet i would want to meet the little boy in the snowy day the snowy day is written by ezra jack keats and it's an elementary school book and the reason why is because that little boy that's the first time that i ever opened a book and it was my mom who introduced me to that book so shout out to moms again she um opened the book and when she opened the book I was reading through it and I was shocked because the mom looked like my mom and I was like mommy is that you and she said no that's not me and I saw the boy and I was like wait ma is that me and she said no that's not you and this boy has this adventure where he's playing with in the snow and just traveling through his neighborhood and he's having so much fun that um I would want to just hang out with him and just you know build snowmen and make snow angels and stuff snowballs in our pockets yeah I love that although I would want to do that too, except I don't know how to do any of those things because I've ne I've only seen a snow once, but I wish that maybe he can teach me how to make a snowman. Well, through, with, through you know, your podcasts, you're taking people on adventures. So when you do have that adventure in this snow, try to videotape it and share it with the world because I would love to see your first experience in the snow too. Yeah, this I've, I've seen it in pictures, although I'd want to see it firsthand. Well, I have one experience. I didn't. I didn't go in the snow for too long, but so there were the. I was. We were going up to the foot to Yosemite. Well, not Yosemite, like the Sierra Mountains, and then I saw some clouds forming in the sky, and I was like, "Dad, it's gonna snow." And he's like, "No, stop being foolish, E train or whatever." Um, and then um, I, the clouds formed bigger, and then it actually started snowing. I didn't. I experienced it, but it was like kind of weird because we no one expected it so we didn't have the proper gear and then my cousin threw a snowball into my face mask and I was just cold for the rest of the time but yeah, yeah there's that's... something magical about snow um there was a there was a day where we had a snow day and all of the teachers you know we had we stayed home because the school shut down and I remember being home and I had no plan to write and all of a sudden, it was as though as the snow fell magically, the words were falling magically out of my mind and through my fingers. And I had written my first picture book. And so wow. I have a picture book. I have a few picture books um, that are on their way to join, you know, Hands and Tight and Wet Lane and Secret Saturday. Tori, just thank you so much for joining me today. I'm 
I had an amazing time. I said it again, but I, <laughs> I mean it, it just, wow. Your, your books are stunning, beautiful, outstanding, courageous, all the adjectives. Thank you so much. Thank you too. And the work that you do, you know, it, I just to paraphrase and just, you know, reword everything you just said about my books. You know, the work that you do and is stunning. It's amazing. And, and it's very uplifting. You know, um, what Rudine Sims Bishop talked about books being windows and mirrors. And I, I like to, I, I've described it that way. And I've described books as another way. I've described books as trampolines because I really believe that, you know, the right books can help us uh, level up and reach greater heights of our own selves, but also reach greater heights of humanity and togetherness. That is a quote that I'm going to need to put on every post I share of this of this interview. That's I've never thought of books as trampolines, but yeah, you're you're right. They books are trampolines, and they're every object. Um, <laughs> it's and, true. And I've got to say, I also have to thank Nancy Paulson, who sent me an advanced reader's copy of Hands, and also a library book from a long time ago that introduced me to Tight. They're truly meaningful and important reads, and I hope that you will add them to your reading list, especially Hands, when it comes out in January, and Tight, which has already been out. Why don't you have a copy? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, I have a copy right here. <laughs> but yeah, oh, you wait, know, it's so funny. I was funny. talking to the audience. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I thought you were talking to me. Oh. It was so convincing. I was like, with me? Oh, yeah. That's good. <laughs> I, I, confusing stuff. Yeah. 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 Well, Tori has a copy. You should all have a copy. Go to wherever you find your books and maybe order or go check them out in your library because you are going to absolutely, positively, phenomenally just love them. They are going to stay in your heart forever they've stayed in mine thank you thank you all for listening and i'll see you in the next one bye